I'm Lindy Kaiser, Senior Editor of ClearanceJobs.com. Welcome to the Security Clearance Careers Podcast. Today we're talking about how financial issues affect your security clearance. Debt and financial troubles have consistently remained the number one cause of clearance denial and revocation. But not all debt is created equally. Learn more about the effect of bankruptcy, why the cause of debt matters, and what steps you can take to mitigate any financial issues. Our guest today is Sean Bigley. Sean represents clients worldwide in security clearance denials and revocations, and he is a former investigator for the U.S. Office of Personnel Management. To say he understands the security clearance process is an understatement. Thank you very much, Sean, for joining us today. From an adjudicative standpoint, there are really two relevant factors under the security clearance guidelines. And the first, when it comes to debt, is personal responsibility. Being, in essence, what have you done, first of all, to get yourself into the debt? And second, what have you done to get yourself out of it? The, the second subpart here is the potential for coercion. How you got yourself into the debt, was it something that was outside of your control? For example, uh, illness or death of a family member? Was it something that was a lifestyle problem? Were you just living beyond your means out there purchasing Rolexes and you know Mercedes and, and, and living really um, the lifestyle of someone who, who's making a, a greater income? Those are all things that will be taken into consideration and you know, unfortunately, it's too little too late when applicants are trying to address these things shortly before they have a hearing. That definitely makes sense. So you talked about, you know, financial responsibility, and one of the ways a lot of people who come into debt deal with that is with bankruptcy. Um, so we know that bankruptcy itself isn't listed in the adjudicative criteria as a disqualifier. Are you aware of cases where maybe an individual declared bankruptcy while having a security clearance and they were able to keep it? Or just in general, what effect does bankruptcy have the security clearance process, both for an individual who already has a clearance or someone who's applying for one and attempting to get one? What I would say first is bankruptcy is not by any means a kiss of death for security clearance. And there's a lot of misinformation out there about that. A lot of people think that by declaring bankruptcy that they're you know, essentially signing away their clearance. What becomes problematic is when people do one of two things. Either they use bankruptcy as a way of getting out of legitimate debts and, and not really making any effort to resolve things before they've gotten to that point. In other words, they don't make any effort to reach out to creditors. They don't make any effort to make settlements. They just go immediately to bankruptcy. Um, that arguably evidences somewhat of a intent to avoid responsibility. Um, the second area where bankruptcies can become problematic is when it's done in a way that's just blatantly fraudulent. There are a lot of bankruptcy laws, technical things that are kind of outside the scope of this conversation. You have to really make sure if you're filing bankruptcy that you have a, a credible, legitimate attorney, not like a fly-by-night service that's offering you the world for you know a, a cheap price. There's a way to do this correctly, and if you want to maximize your chances of keeping your clearance, again, do everything you can to avoid it, keep good records, and most importantly, show that you're not accumulating debt after the bankruptcy. That's critical. If you declare bankruptcy and you take advantage of that statutory right, the government's going to want to see that you learn something from it. They're going to want to see that you are not now uh, immediately engaging in the same bad habits uh, that got you into this position in the first place. All of those things are really important. Now, the, the other thing 
that I will also say about bankruptcy is there are some unusual cases out there. They're few and far between, but we're starting to see them pop up more. And I actually just wrote an article about this on clearance jobs where people are finding bankruptcies on their credit report is there's a little bit of a cottage industry of people who are declaring bankruptcy in someone else's name. Oftentimes it's an ex-spouse and they're doing it as a way to stave off foreclosure or, or repossession just long enough so that they can hide you know, their car, their boat, whatever it is, or find a new place to live. And I, re- I remember that reading that article and thinking that that was incredibly interesting. I'd never considered that before, but when you think about how often other fraudulent claims can maybe get placed on your credit report, it just is a kind of a reminder that, yeah, when things like that appear, you definitely need to, to seek the advice of good counsel. So you talked about, you know, bankruptcy. So what about foreclosure and repossession? What impact would those things have on a clearance holder? Things somewhat like a bankruptcy are oftentimes viewed as symptoms of a larger problem. It's not necessarily that, you know, you got behind on your mortgage payments and you wind up having to, um, you know, move to a smaller house, something like that. I mean, fundamentally, those are things that happen to many people. It's foreclosures and repossessions really become issues is where people, they don't act responsibly. So I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. We see cases from time to time where people are losing their home and they're upset, they're upset at the bank, they're upset at their creditors, they, they think they've been taken advantage of sometimes by an adjustable rate loan, something like that. And so on their way out of the home, they vandalize it and they cause extensive amount of damage. That is gonna not be helpful to your case when you are arguing that your personal conduct is not a concern. If you have the misfortune of a foreclosure, talk to the lender. See, you know, see if there's anything that you can do to work things out. And and you know, that's kind of on a separate matter. That goes back to what we talked about earlier is you need to be able to show that you have made serious efforts proactively to avoid getting yourself to that point. We see a lot of cases where people come and they say, well, you know, here's my statement of reasons. There's 15 financial issues on it. And the first question I always ask is, well, what have you done to clean these up? You really want to make sure that you're always cognizant of that fact in in, in the way that you deal with creditors. And then, you know, again, uh, just understand that there are different types of debt in the eyes of adjudicators. And if you were clearly living beyond your means, that's different than if the reason for the foreclosure was because you lost a job. Lots of different moving parts here, so to speak. I guess my the, the takeaway that I would tell people from this is a foreclosure or a repossession or a bankruptcy, none of these things are per se bars to a clearance. It's how you handle them and, and what you do after the fact that really makes the difference. Again, that makes sense. Good communication, important in marriage, also important with creditors. Lesson, lesson I learned today. Yeah, absolutely. So you recently wrote about identity theft on clearancejobs.com. Uh, a key takeaway I got was that clearance holders definitely need to be requesting a copy of their credit reports. I'm guilty on that one. I I'm, I'm, tend to be a little bit lazy about doing that. So how often would you recommend clearance holders do so, and what's the best way to stop identity theft in its tracks? I always tell clients that the law affords you a right once a year for free, no obligation to pull a copy of your credit report from all three credit bureaus. It takes literally five minutes. You can do it online. And, uh, you know, 
in this day and age, it's worth the peace of mind. I have seen so much fraud and so much false information on credit reports that, frankly, even if you don't have financial problems, it's worth it just to pull the the reports and and make sure that everything that's on there is accurate. Um, There have actually been some studies done that uh, have found that there is a, a significant percentage, uh, I think it's somewhere in the range of 20-25% of consumer credit reports that have blatant inaccuracies on them. And so, you know, why not spend 15 minutes now on the phone with the credit agency getting this, you know, fixed and figured out rather than a couple years down the road? It's always better to be proactive. In terms of stopping identity theft, that's going to help. It may be a little bit too late if you know, you're only pulling it once a year. So there are a number of great credit monitoring services out there that you can sign up for that are very reasonable. Um, I know me personally, for example, I'm a member of AAA, and uh, that's a service that they offer through that organization, I think for free. I don't think I've ever paid a bill. So there, there are a lot of options out there. You really have to take charge of your credit information and make sure that uh, it's not being either uh, fraudulently used or falsified somehow. In that article that you wrote for Clarence Jobs, you also spoke about steps toward remediation if you do find inaccuracies in your credit report. Can you speak to that a bit? The remediation process for fixing inaccurate information on your credit report is not particularly easy. Um, that's that's the unfortunate part. but. Um, it's also something that is relatively straightforward and it's not something that typically requires an attorney at least early in the process. If you go on the website for any of the three major credit reporting bureaus, uh, either Experian, TransUnion, or Equifax, you look at their frequently asked questions. Usually there's a link that you can find and the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau also on their website has some sample letters that you can use to send to creditors if you believe that the information that they have is erroneous. But if it's a, truly an illegitimate account, you believe it's just not yours or it was fraud, make sure you get a police report if there's any chance it was identity theft and provide that to the credit reporting bureaus as proof in support of your case. and. There's a lot that you can do with them through correspondence. Again, it's it's not an easy process, but it's it is relatively straightforward, and um, you know it's it's one of those things, unfortunately, that you just kind of have to bite the bullet on and do. And now we've been talking a lot about the OPM breach at Clearance Jobs, um, where basically the security clearance background investigations of approximately 20 million clearance holders or applicants were breached and and lost. So does that make this issue even more important for clearance holders, that they're monitoring their credit reports and keeping an eye out for identity theft? Yeah, I I think fortunately with this particular breach, uh, the, the one in the news most recently, I think that most analysts generally agree that it was a state-sponsored actor, uh, most likely China, and as a result, it's probably unlikely that people's personal information that was stolen in this breach is going to wind up on the black market, uh, as it would in in the case of a a criminal theft, for example. That being said, what I, I do think is a real clear takeaway from that is that your personal information is valuable. 
it's a valuable commodity and you have to treat it as such. Just take those extra basic steps to make sure that you're not getting yourself in a position where your personal information is potentially going to be compromised. Definitely good advice. Um, and definitely contacting a qualified security clearance a- attorney as appropriate is, is a good idea. We posted an article today at Clearance Jobs, actually, that was a, a Doha hearing, um, Defense Office of Hearings and Appeals. And in it, there was an applicant that had personal issues in terms of a criminal history that was probably two decades prior in the adjudication of that, they, find, they found that that was mitigated. Um, the more pressing issue was that she had declared bankruptcy several years prior and yet had not taken the steps, as you mentioned you know, earlier in our, in our talk, to mitigate those financial issues. And what the writer of that article pointed out was that if she had contacted an attorney earlier on in her clearance process, pretty much the earlier the better, and said, hey, um, I declared bankruptcy and I have this credit history he likely could have advised her, he or she, on ways to mitigate those financial issues, you know, to take steps before you apply for a clearance or even after you start the clearance process to kind of demonstrate responsibility. When you come in at the ninth hour and, and try to plead your case, it's a little more difficult. Absolutely. And, and that's a great point. I mean, there is a lot as attorneys that we can do to help people. And I really want people to understand that as as challenging as some of these cases may be, they're also eminently winnable. I mean, there are many, many cases if you look at just, for example, Doha being the only agency that that publishes their cases, you can look at their case history and see that there are plenty of people who have been in situations regarding finances or other issues that may have seemed like insurmountable obstacles at the time, but with the right legwork and the right preparation, they are things that can be overcome. The trick is not waiting until the last minute. And so, you know, I, I can't reiterate that enough. If you have a problem or, or something that you think may be a problem, address it early and get help early because if you wait until right before a hearing, not only do we often not have enough time to deal with it, but it, it tends to look as though it's being done only for the purpose of the hearing and, and often that negates all of the effort. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, well, if for listeners who have more questions about the security clearance process, I urge you to check out news.clearancejobs.com. We literally have hundreds of articles about security clearance process and procedures and dozens specific to financial issues. Um, and Sean, for those who might be interested in, in more about what you do or, or need the help of a qualified security clearance attorney, can you provide more information on how they might be able to get in touch with you? Absolutely. I would encourage folks to check out our website. It's www.biglylaw.com, B-I-G-L-E-Y law.com. Great. Thank you again so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Lindy. Have a good day. Thank you again for joining us for today's Security Clearance Careers Podcast. As a reminder, today's podcast did not constitute legal advice please consult an attorney regarding your specific situation. For news, articles, tips, and more, please visit news.clearancejobs.com. We hope you'll join us for our next episode as we continue to bring you all the news you need to know. Bye-bye.